I know I'll be at risk of sounding like I've just received an Oscar, but I just want to thank so many people for helping me get to this point, <laughs> 15 years. Um, truly, it is a blessing to have Chrissy. Uh, I have to mention her first and foremost because when it comes to all of the work that we do here at the church, um, she is, I, I begged and pleaded for an assistant many, many years ago, because I did this just kind of on my own for a number of years, and so what a blessing that uh, she's able to do that. So. And uh, I should rewind and say I have to thank my wife first, <laughs> because uh, every husband uh, knows that um, we may be the head of the house, but the wife is the neck, and we just don't move very well without <laughs> Our wives. Can you just bring me down a little bit? I'm way too, way too loud there. Thank you. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, there, just all, everyone who volunteers and gives to the Lord is just a wonderful thing. Uh, this past week, I don't know if you went downstairs or not, but um, we've renovated, we're working on making the bathrooms cleaner, nicer, and if you go down there, you're going to see, it's like, wow, it's like night and day. And a good friend of mine that we served with many years ago is a retired Carmen, is the name, and he just has a heart to serve the Lord, and he just came and said, and I'll do the work, and, and, um, and we painted, and we put up new lights, and, and he's just, you know, he's just a wonderful man, and he takes me out to lunch, so I really love him. He's a great guy. Uh, but there's so many to say thank you to, and I certainly appreciate it. It's a blessing to, to serve the Lord, and, um, you know, not every uh, season is... Um, fruitful, per se, and it's sometimes there's frustrations that happen, but as I was talking with uh, Karen beforehand, it's a blessing to come to a place that's a positive place and a place where we can love one another, because that's what God has called us to do. Isn't that right, church? That's right. And today, you came on a great day because we're giving you food. We're feeding you afterwards. And uh, if you have children, they can play in the bounce house, and I'm not afraid to take off these dress shoes and race someone in the obstacle course. So uh, this can get dry cleaned. I have no problem with that. Um, but yeah, we wanted to have something for the teens where they could race down the, uh, the obstacle course. And across the street is the hayride, and a uh, big thank you to Barry for all he does, and Dale. Um, they make all of this uh, certainly possible. But um, lots of fun stuff happening today. Uh, that's what I wanted, you know, for this day. I wanted to have a day where we could just stick around and talk and eat and have fun, and that to me is what I enjoy. So I, I hope you'll stay and, and enjoy that a little bit and talk with some folks. This uh, month of October has kind of been, uh, it is focused on parenting. And so in each message, I'm trying to talk a little bit to parents. So if you're a parent with children, um, this is, these are great messages, little things for you as we go through the Gospels. And next Sunday, in fact, we'll have uh, Love Life, which is an organization that tries to minister to those that have, a, um, uh, that, that are, have maybe an unplanned, unplanned pregnancy, and um, they minister to abortion clinics, and, and we'll actually be going in a, in a week uh, or so, actually two weeks, we'll be going to... Uh, pray, a prayer walk um, in front of a, an abortion clinic. Anyone who wants to come can be a part of that. And everything is done never in shame, but in always love. 
and grace um, and, and so ministering too. So that's coming up as well. And then on October 24th, we have a baby dedication. So you can see there's lots to do with parenting. Parenting, incredibly challenging responsibility. Am I right, parents? Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, when we had our first child, who's actually in the front row right now, she's 16, so she's no longer a uh, baby, but when, when we were preparing for her arrival, there were a myriad of decisions to be made. I mean, I remember registering at the uh, Babies R Us for, for all the stuff that we're supposed to get. And just the baby bottle choice alone, straight, angled, vented, non-vented, round, tall, short, disposable, glass, plastic, I was like, are you kidding me? Just give me the one that works, that will help her not cry when it's my turn to feed her. The baby stage is challenging, but then there comes the toddler stage as a parent, right? They're mobile and surprisingly fast. They talk a lot, and they repeat what you say, which can be shocking. Where did you learn that? From you. (laughs) And then they finally get to use the toilet, but they still want you to wipe their butt. I don't like that at all. I thought I was done with that. Bath night sometimes turns into a UFC match. It's hard to wrestle those when they're slippery, right? But obviously it was worth it because we had another one. (laughs) And if you have multiple children, you know what I'm talking about. But with every job you take, you get special training. With parenting, it's no different. We need special training to parent. And you may not realize it, but you did get special training. That special training came from your parents. It's a sobering day when you realize what just came out of your mouth is what your parents said to you. You might remember that. Maybe it wasn't too long ago. Oh my gosh, I'm my parent now. I am saying what they're saying. It happens to all of us, but in addition to learning from our parents, we do have opportunities to get some special training as parents from some of the books that are out there. There are many great books on parenting. One of the books that I recommend everyone read, if you're a parent, is the Bible. What'd you expect? I'm a pastor. Of course I'm going to make you read the Bible. But the Bible speaks to every, every situation that you're in, specifically, because God breathed the words into man, right? Men were moved by God, and they wrote down what God wanted us to hear. He who moved the men moved the pen. So it's the Father's voice that we hear when we read the Bible. Jesus it was always talking to the Father, hearing his voice. So God can speak to your specific situation as a parent. Lots of books out there. Um, I remember reading one, The Power of a Praying Parent. So there's always something going on that we need the Word of God for. The Bible doesn't just inform you, it transforms you, and it can transform you into a godly parent. And that's what every Christian should want to be, a godly parent. 
There's another book that is the title of this message, which will come up, and it's called Dare to Discipline. Dare to Discipline. Anyone know the author of Dare to Discipline? It's a, a famous author, written many, many books. Dr. James Dobson, from his radio program as well, focused on the family. Dare to Discipline. I remember when my daughter was about four or five, and every time I start off telling a story about my children, I look at them and they get really nervous. I should have cleared this with her beforehand, but she doesn't remember it. Uh, I doubt she remembers it, but she was about four or five, and she was being really unruly, as I like to say, especially before I pass them on to grandparents. Hey, you want the kids today? They're being unruly. It's a nicer way of saying they're being a pain in my butt. But she was being unruly. We were on a long car ride, and I don't remember what it was. I think she might have been kicking my seat over and over again, or maybe she was just antagonizing her brother, or both, probably. But it just went on long enough, and out of anger, I turned around and I smacked her on the hand. I, oh, I got the from someone. She was startled, she began to cry. And I felt terrible, not because I made her cry, but because I did it out of anger. And I realized at that moment I was ill-equipped to discipline my children. I didn't have the training for it. I was doing maybe what I saw or just really doing what sinful man does, as we respond out of our anger and we sin, oftentimes. So shortly after that incident, I was at a friend's house. Jamie and I were visiting. We have another um, couple that have a child the same age as Ellie. And we were there, and I saw this book on their shelf, and it was Dare to Discipline. And I thought, hey, can I read that book? Can I have that book? And so I read that book cover to cover, and it was very helpful. In fact, I put that book on the back shelf underneath the TV, all those books are always free. You see a book back there, there's movies back there, you take those, they are yours to have. We want you to have those books and, and read them. But I have one of those, the copy I read, Their Discipline, is back there. One of the biggest things I learned from this book was when to discipline your child. When to discipline your child. If you're adamantly against spanking your child, and maybe I got that because I smacked my daughter. And so many parents today are getting lots of different information. And You know, I got the belt when I was a, a kid, and, and I didn't like it, but I learned from it, I'll tell you that. Maybe you were, maybe you're against it. If you are against it, I would encourage you to look into why. Look into why. Dig into the root of why you're against it. And I would also say, Read that book and see what you think. But here's the thing. You should never discipline when you are angry. Never discipline your child when you're angry. You should discipline when you're ready to love. And boy, what a difference that makes. Discipline when you are ready to love them. And that may take some time to walk away, catch your breath. It might even take a day or so. But spanking is never the first response. And thankfully, throughout 
my daughter's childhood, we never really had to get to that point. We had other measures in place, timeouts, things like that, that she just responded to. So it, it, was, it was good. She responded to them. But then we have a little boy. <laughs> Boys are so different than girls in many ways. And there, were, there was a time or two where it got to the point, point where our little boy was flat out defiant. After several choices or several tries at, at getting him to fix this behavior, this problem, wasn't working, we went into the room and I shut the door. And here's what was so different than before. I spanked him calmly, not out of anger. And then get this, parents. I hugged him and told him that I loved him. That built a tremendous amount of respect in him for me. When you discipline out of love, your parents or your children will respect you for it. Maybe not at the moment, <laughs> but they will. What happens when parents don't discipline their children at all. Don't discipline them at all. Studies say children will lack self-control in life. They will not understand appropriate behavior, and they will not respect their parents or other authority figures. And all the teachers just said, amen, right? If you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about because you know which children you have in your class that are disciplined that understand discipline, they understand respect. So dare to discipline and bring God glory. The same goes for God's church. The same goes for the church. The church must also dare to discipline, something that is not often done in the church. But we read in Matthew chapter 18, we read the words of Jesus. We read the letters to the Corinthians from Paul. And we see in there they dared to discipline. They disciplined in the church. Because if a church neglects to discipline, then they will have a membership that lacks self-control, a membership that acts inappropriately, doesn't respect the leaders of the church, the elders, doesn't understand how to truly love one another, and certainly won't take serious the wrath of God, which is a real thing. A spanking here on earth is nothing compared to separation from God forever. Church discipline is a must, and Jesus told us. It's not me telling you that we need to do this. It's Jesus telling us that we need to do it in Matthew 18. So we're going to dive into that. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to hear your words. Help us to hear the truth today and set us free from maybe some things that we've learned in the past that aren't right. Help us to see your, your word in the context and understand what you were really saying and not taking verses out of the context and making them and applying them to our own preconceived ideas. Father, let us see your word as it is. Let us interpret it properly and let us apply it. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. 
So if you have your Bible, Matthew 18, verse 15, just a few verses um, this morning. Verse 15 here, we have Jesus telling his disciples how to discipline, how to judge other believers in Christ. By the way, if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, which we began on Easter, there's a message back there titled, Judge Me, Please. You can see it on our YouTube channel. If you want to watch that in connection with this, there was so much I couldn't put back into this or bring up again. But back there, you'll see, Jesus says to judge, most non-Christians like to use that um, uh, and throw it in our face, right? You're not supposed to judge us. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, don't judge with hypocrisy. That's what he was teaching. And uh, we are to judge one another, because if we don't, then we see what I just spoke of. So here Jesus is saying, you need to do it. You need to judge. You need to discipline someone who is in sin. And this is habitual sin. This is a habit of sin. This isn't one little thing that they do and then you nail them for it. That's not the kind of church that we have or, or God has called us to it. So verse 15, if your brother sins against you, you go and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. So you begin in private. You don't start gossiping. But you go to them in private, one-on-one, if your brother or sister in Christ says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I did not realize that. Or yes, I admit I did that, and I'm terribly sorry, I, am, I want to um, ask for your forgiveness. If that's what happens, praise the Lord, that was an easy one. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way. Because we have verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now Jesus did not come up with this on the spot, this two or three witness thing. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Two or three witnesses was required if you were going to convict someone of something they did wrong. Let me take you to Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice, Moses was teaching the people of of God, against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Then in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, the apostle Paul to the church of Corinth, which was doing things that were inappropriate, says to them, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, it can't just be one person. It has to be two or three witnesses. Now, Pastor Tim Keller, whom I love listening to from New York City, uh, he's a pastor there, says that the witnesses, get this, must have actually seen the act of sin in the Jewish culture. And that's the understanding that they had from Deuteronomy. That they had to actually witness it, like see it. It's not enough to see a guy leaving a woman's house with lipstick all over his face. That's not his wife. You have to actually see them in the act. So condemnation rarely happens. You have to have two or three Very strong witnesses. Many years ago at a church nearby, an associate pastor was having an affair with a woman he was counseling. 
She eventually confessed to the church because she felt guilty. She wanted to confess. They embraced her. They forgave her. But when he was confronted by two men in the church, two witnesses, he denied it. So now what do you do? You read verse 17. If he refuses to listen to the witnesses, you tell it to the church leadership, the elders of the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, you let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. And what does that mean? I thought Gentile was basically someone who wasn't Jewish. Well, in this context, the, the Gentile word is ethnos or ethnicity. It's a word for unbeliever in this case, a heathen, an unbeliever. And a tax collector was known as someone who was harsh, greedy, and deceptive. So Jesus is saying you would treat them as if they were the farthest thing from a follower of me. That, that, that's how they're to be treated. Now, in regards to the associate pastor that never repented, the church treated him like an unbeliever. What does that mean? How do you treat an unbeliever? Let me tell you, with love and grace and the gospel. You don't condemn them. You don't shame them. You treat them with love and grace and the gospel. You'll see in the gospels or in Paul's letters how he handed some over to Satan so that they would repent. So they would understand the consequences of their actions and they would repent. They need their eyes open to the truth because when they ask for forgiveness from our Lord and Savior, he gives it. Not once. Not twice. Not seven times, but 70 times seven, right? That's how often we are to forgive. We'll get to that text. Nobody can live in sin and truly love the Father, John wrote. Now, many years ago, in a different situation, there was a couple that left their church because of church discipline, and they came to our church. And they explained a little bit about where they were coming from, their situation. And so I talked with the other pastor. And together, we helped them ask for forgiveness, repent in front of their old church, in which they did, and then they became members of our church, and they were faithful for many years until they moved away. We did it correctly, the way Christ wanted us to and calls us to. Verse 18, this is the comforting part of this whole church discipline process. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Does this sound familiar at all? Just a few weeks ago, we talked about this when Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, Jesus, as I said, taught before, okay, Peter was given the keys as a symbolic way of saying, you need to open the door. That's what keys do. They open the door to all people. You need to share the gospel with Samaritans and Gentiles so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can all be saved. And this is really what this is saying here. To be bound in heaven, to be loosed in heaven. 
uh, on earth. He says, if you as the disciples recognize the Holy Spirit is in a person, and how do you recognize the Holy Spirit is in a person? Jesus said, with the fig tree, by their fruit you will recognize them. If they have the Holy Spirit, you declare them a member of God's church. That's what he's saying. And then he says, if someone doesn't repent of their sin, they're just going to live their life the way they want to live it, then you loose them from the church. You declare them not a member of his church. And whatever you do on earth, it will have the support of heaven. Heaven supports you. And the next two verses show that support. But I'm going to just tell you, these next two verses are often taken out of context. You may have heard these verses before applied in totally different scenarios, and they really don't mean that. They are supposed to support church discipline. Verse 19, again, I say to you, Jesus, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How many of you have heard that verse before? It sounds familiar, right? Well, verse 19 and 20 are taken out of context. First of all, verse 19, often taken out of context to convince other people to pray with you in accordance with what you want. It doesn't work that way. We pray according to God's will. That's how we pray. Not because two people agree on earth, will you have what you ask for. It doesn't work that way. You pray together for the Lord's will. So don't use that verse for that purpose. Verse 20 is often used when a small group comes together. Small group comes together, we have a prayer team. Every Sunday morning they pray for the service, they pray for many in our community, they pray for everything you see in the program, they pray for all of that. Every Sunday you want to join them, you can. But that team should never say that, oh, God is with us because we have two or more. Yet people do say that. Here's why. You would, beckon the, you would ask the question then, does that mean if I'm alone, God is not with me? That's not true, because if you are a genuine believer, a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. God is always with you. So it can't mean that. What it means is it's supporting what you do when you, when you have church discipline. It can't mean that. So these two verses, supporting church discipline. If you judge someone for their sin, you do it properly, as Jesus said, heaven will be with you in the process. Which is very comforting because you've ever had to do church discipline, it's not fun. It's not easy to confront someone if they're living in sin and let them know that you can't, you can't do this and think that God is going to bless it and honor it. It, it. It's not right. Every step of church discipline has to be done in prayer, just like every time you discipline your child as a parent, you should do it with prayer. Let God guide you as you confront others. And the whole goal, 
is repentance and restoration. You want to bring the person back to the body of Christ. So a few things, questions you might have. When do you discipline? Not every single thing. If it's outward. Everyone can see it. They're living this lifestyle. They're going out to the bars every Saturday. Right? They're, they're, they're living this lifestyle. If it's wrong, it's outward. Everyone can see it. It needs to be confronted. If it's unrepentant, they're just not sorry about it. They're going to do what they want to do. Or if it's severe, you can see it's going to bring harm to them, to other people. Then you need to do it. Church, um, and again, if it's someone that you know, it's one-on-one first, then two or three witnesses. How must Christians discipline without hypocrisy? Remember that. Jesus said that. Don't judge as hypocrites. Without condemnation. Remember what Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. They brought her to them. They literally probably pulled her out of the house, out of the bed, and brought her to him. And he says, I don't condemn you, but leave your sin lifestyle. Don't condemn. Restore. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Be gentle. It's delicate. And we must do it because we protect the individual who is in the sin. We protect the church and we protect our witness to all those who are looking at us. Because we're in a fishbowl. When we're a Christian, we're in a fishbowl, are we not? Everybody's looking at us. How, does, how do Christians act? I got a phone call. You know, there was a situation that happened, an individual that uh, was rude to a person that came up here and she wanted to tell me how, how insensitive they were and how, uh, you know, that's not how a Christian should act. And I had to remind her, well, you know, Christians are people. <laughs> we make mistakes and so on and so forth. But people are always watching you if you are going to stand up and say, I am a Christian, I am a believer, and we need to protect that witness. The whole goal of discipline is repentance and restoration. The goal is to do it with love. So, I dare you to discipline. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are with me to preach this message because it's not an easy thing to do. And I know that many pastors may shy away from even talking about it. But Father, every, everything in your Bible is for our value. All Scripture has been breathed by you. It's useful for teaching us and rebuking us and correcting us and training us so that we will be prepared for every good work. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for teaching us what it really means when your son spoke those words. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,